Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you as uh, we uh, we trudge into the month of May uh, here. We're a day late because we wanted to save some... We, we had some things go down today that we really wanted to bring to you, so um, plenty to talk about. We're not going to break down the NFL schedule for you. Sorry, Eric Lopez. <laughs> I knew you were really looking forward to that. You know, he's super excited. Who's Tua opening with? Notice I said Tua, not the Dolphins. I I, uh, I will say that I, I agree with or disagree with any show that leads off with the NFL schedule breakdown. It's a <laughs> waste of time, but I will say, you know, at least we, it's something, but it is a total waste of time. The leakage, man, the leakage from the NFL, how they do this is just, it's, it's a master class. It really is something, but... Anyway, we're gonna uh, we talked to uh, a bunch of former UCF players over the past uh, week or so. We're gonna bring some to you. We caught um, uh, Brian. You caught up with Mackenzie Milton today, along with some of the Orlando media, and um, had I think Mackenzie had some interesting stuff to say. We heard from. You also spoke to Nate Evans recently, um, and had some time with. Uh, uh, well, we'll get into Navelle Clark a little bit later, but we're gonna talk about that. We got some. Rankings that we got to talk about with some all-time uh, with some right. top teams of the decade in UCF history that we've been talking about and doing throughout this uh, um, throughout this uh, well this pandemic pandemic yeah I guess you could say we started for a while what, is that what we're gonna go and we're gonna preview a little bit of some UCF Knights male athletes as well of all time top 100 um, plenty of stuff to get to here so uh, let's go ahead and. Um, get started real quick uh, with, well, Mackenzie Milton, um, who uh, we, we heard about it relatively late that he's, um, that he would be talking with the media uh, today, Thursday, May the 7th. And uh, Brian, you've got the story up on the site that. Uh, well, you, yeah, you heard about it relatively late. For those of us, <laughs> for those of us who had to know, we've known about it for about a week, but then we yeah, told you today, we told so me and Eric told you yesterday, yeah, Wednesday, thanks. so we could move the po- podcast back. But, you know, they, they keep us under wraps. They don't want anybody else to know unless you're, you know, unless you're in, unless you're on the inside. Oh. You're welcome. Oh, so I'm not, so me, the managing editor, I'm on the outside. I'm not, I'm not in the circle of trust, eh? <laughs> you're absolutely not. I don't thanks, see your name on these. Thanks, Dan Fursella. God. <laughs> Anyway, I love Dan. I really do. He's a good dude. But come on, man. Anyway, um, so but you guys talked to Mackenzie and uh, and you got the Q and A up there on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess let's just lead with the question everyone has: Is Mackenzie going to play football again? And possibly could he play in twenty twenty? Uh, we don't know, and Mackenzie doesn't know. But he's giving it as he has all along, as he has throughout this entire throughout this entire ordeal. He's giving it his best shot, and you know I don't know. I think we've all expressed to varying degrees our doubts about Mackenzie Milton playing again. I'm not even sure if I've come on here and explicitly said like you know I don't think he's going to play, but I think that, that's always been in the back of our mind because of what you know we know what he's up against. We know the track record of those. With his, you know, with this exact exact uh, type of injury, where you've got, you know, ligament damage, bone damage, uh, or, or bone displacement, and uh, artery damage, it's just a really, really tall order. 
And yet, and I, I respect McKenzie for not saying like it's definitely going to happen. Like he understands like there's still a chance it might not. He might not ever be the player he once was. Um, but you know, when he expresses the amount of belief and self conviction that he has, and that he expressed today, um, it, it's really easy to buy in and to, and believe in this kid that he's going to just overcome it. Uh, and again, we don't know. You know, I guess our next landmark with McKenzie will be. Uh, he has a meet. He has a um, a meetup, a checkup with his surgeon in Minneapolis next month in late June, and that will sort of be the doctor. Then will will take will take it. will examine him and and basically see how everything's come along and and where everything is at. And I think from there he'll get a new set of directives as far as what he can do and and maybe you know the scope of what his future looks like. I think now his future is a lot of. Working out on UCF's campus uh, with other guys who are injured, namely Brandon Moore, uh, and just you know striving every day for that goal of of you know hoping that one that at some point, and he's still aiming for this season, but at some point to be back playing football for UCF. And um, you can have your doubts uh, internally or externally about it, but uh, I admire his just his resiliency and his out and out. Um, conviction and belief that he's going to do it. We got a, a couple of clips from that interview, too. We'll go ahead and uh, play the first one from the question that you asked him, Murph. Here it is. Hey, Z, you said even before the start of the last season that 2020 was sort of your goal. And when we talked to you in, in November, you said, you know, it, that's, still, that's still your goal, but it's too soon to say. Um, is it still too soon to, to say that you would be you know, ready in 2020? Or And if it is, have you at least made strides during this time that makes you more confident that you could be out there at that point? Yeah, it still is my goal. And like I said, I'll go see my surgeon in June and I'll know a lot more at that point. So, um, but, you know, that being my goal, that the reason I set that goal is because I want to approach my rehab every day with, with the idea that, you know, I'll be ready to go for fall camp and I'll be able to go for North Carolina in our first game. And if I'm not approaching it that way, then, you know, I'm, I feel like I'd be missing days in therapy, um, you know, not working as hard as I can. So that's why I've set that goal. And, you know, I hope to reach that. And if I don't, then it is what it is. You know, I'll just keep knocking down block by block. But hopefully when I go up uh, to Minnesota at the end of June, I'll get some good news. So that's Mackenzie Milton talking about the possibility of 2020. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to throw. Be the guy who throws throws cold water on the fire here, but I will. Um, it, it it's one thing to like believe you're going to come back, but like his leg still has to be okay. I mean, he it's, he's fortunate to still have it attached to his body. Um, it, but your sense of it, Brian, is it's it's not just his determination. Like I, it, you seem to believe that. He feel and certainly he sounds from that clip that he sounds you know confident like there's like there's no there's there's no there, there doesn't I didn't detect any BS there from him did you no absolutely no and throughout the entire I think it was eighteen minutes with him uh, well and this has been a thing with McKenzie since since at least I've gotten here in 2017 is he's always honest and sometimes to a fault and that's great for reporters who are looking for quotes. And with McKenzie, you know, now when he's opening up about what he's going through, um, he's really honest about it, and it can be inspiring at times. Uh, and no, there's no, there's no BS, there's no facade here. He's not trying to fake you out or or present any false hope. Uh, what he says, he honestly believes, and you can sense that 
uh, and it becomes infectious. And I'm not saying that, you know, I, I am now a, a convert and I believe like he's definitely going to play because it, like he says, it's still way too early to, to predict that. It's still way too early to be confident and be certain that he's, he's definitely going to play. Um, but that sort of confidence that he exudes, um, it, it just sort of like, yeah, it obviously makes you want to root for him, but also in the back of your mind, like you're thinking like, man, there's really nothing that's going to stop him. And, um, but I, and then you could hear in the quote, I liked it when he said that he's aiming toward being on the field in fall camp, preparing for North Carolina. He didn't say I'm definitely going to be out there week one against North Carolina, but he has a goal in mind. He has a frame of reference. To, for uh, of what he's shooting for because that keeps him motivated that keeps him driving every day that makes sure that he, every day he's doing everything possible he can to get back out there step by step you know little by little incremental success incremental progress and that in the end his goal of playing football again is achieved and it would be the biggest one of the biggest stories in sports it would certainly be i think the the biggest feel good story in all of in, in all of college football for the year if he steps out of the field but uh, here's the, did he touch upon, you know, Dylan Gabriel and obviously Daryl Mack is, is still here. Let's assume, you know, all goes well and the doctors are like, you know what? You, yeah, you can play football in 2020. All of a sudden, he's going to walk into a pretty crowded quarterback room, isn't he? I mean, has he given any thought to that? Yeah, you know, well, he did. He was asked about it. Like, he's he was asked, you know, about the dynamic between him and Dylan right now, because while they are such great friends and 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 McKenzie has often referred to him as as his little brother, you know Dylan's the starting quarterback, and if if McKenzie is able to come back, there would obviously be a, a competition there. Uh, but I think McKenzie played it the right way. He said, you know, if he's fully cleared, it will be competitive between him, Daryl Mack, uh, Quadri Jones. He mentioned Parker Navarro, the true freshman as well. Mm -hmm. But no matter no matter who wins the job, they're all going to support each other just like McKenzie was supportive of whoever was under center last year. And, um, you know, he, he stressed that. Like, no one, there's not going to be any rifts drawn. There's not going to be rifts created because, you know, if McKenzie miraculously comes back and takes the job, I, I believe he thinks that everyone will have his support, much like he will support anybody who might win the job over him. Coach KZ, right? I mean, that's what we said every time the television cameras went to him. He, and he, he's, you know, it's funny about think about that. He always looked the part. Right <laughs> with the mm -hmm. with the clipboard and the headset, which is, I thought was funny. He, he was asked about that too about coaching because obviously he stressed so much about coaching and how he wants to coach. He wants to be in the NFL coaching, and then he was asked about it again today, and he sounded a little bit more reluctant about it because I think yep. after after a full year of seeing what the job entails, all the hours put in, the hours of solitude, like the hours of solitude in a room studying film, going over. Uh, game plans, being away from your family. Uh, he's like, you know, he said it, it. He doesn't want. He didn't want to say that it's making him second guess, but it is sort of giving him a, a better picture of what his life would be like if he went down that road, and and also it's giving him a greater appreciation for the coaches he's had, past and present. Look, I uh, I don't know if you call it a converter, but I am a converter. I I, I gotta tell you, uh, and Murph, you did a great job, and you know, on the clip we played you with that question. Uh, and, Mer and really, I really appreciated McKenzie being really detailed and not holding back, right? Because the easiest thing I was, ex you know, you could I could have expected would have been him saying, yeah, you know, I'm not really thinking about it. I'm thinking day by day. I'm not thinking about any day. But he was pretty for blunt. I mean, this is significant from the standpoint we have some dates now to look at. 
He's going to visit his surgeon at the end of June. And while, yeah, he said it's 50-50, we have some dates here that are important all of a sudden in this process. He's going to go visit in the end of June. And I think that is important because, obviously, there's a couple some scenarios that could play out here. He may not get cleared. Okay, if he's not cleared, is it because is he close to being cleared? Is he far away from being cleared? Because that could impact his decisions in the future moving forward, depending on what the surgeon tells him. Not only hey, you're not cleared, but you're you know if he says you're way off, then now if you're McKenzie, you're thinking, well, how long do I keep doing this football thing? Or if you're close, then there's a timeline because we look as we talk tonight record this we don't know when the college football season will start if this season gets pushed back further maybe that buys him more time and then what if he does get cleared what can he do what can he do or is you know is he limited or is he full go and all of a sudden now you got a huge story for whatever they report in football camp because that's a big story i mean say we can will you could say oh they'll get along and everything's great but if he was to be cleared and the die and the surgeon says you're good to go you're full 100 percent, go at it no hesitation. Now we got an interesting quarterback de- uh, debate, and which a lot of people are going to be captivated by and have opinions about, and it's going to be fascinating. So I actually think this was a fascinating conversation with him uh, that the media held, and I thought it was noteworthy. I think it is very noteworthy because there's now some dates that we can look at to see where this is headed one way or the other. Not that we're going to have a clear picture, but it's not like, a, you know, in the fall when he talked, everything was so long away. Now it's not so far away. And I was fascinated. I'm very fascinated now. Uh, I think this is a story moving forward in the summer. Because now, Murph, I mean, my question, and Jeff, is will, how are, you know, he's going to re- meet with his surgeon at the end of June. So now everybody's going to be asking, so what? how did it go? Is he going to announce it on social media? Is he going to be available to the media after that he meets with the surgeon? People are going to want to know all of a sudden. Well, I will say this. His mother, Teresa, who's a very kind person, uh, is, is, has been at times McKenzie's spokesman on social media when he has good news to report. She did it a few weeks ago when, uh, with the picture of his knees, showing you just how, 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 how identical his knees look now. Uh, she did it when they were up in Minnesota initially. Uh, uh, and so I think if there's something that comes out, and if there's, something good, if there's good news to report, you will hear about it, and you won't have to go searching for it. I believe Casey or Teresa will let us know, and and then we'll we'll act off of that. Yeah, I, it's I, I, I was the one. It, it, we both saw that, um, th- that post when it came down. I, I I always get the feeling like Mackenzie's kind of like aw shucks about you know his mom sometimes. <laughs> mom, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, there was another thing you guys touched on there, though. Um, obviously, we can't, you know, we didn't get the chance to let Brandon Moore speak for himself. But uh, Bam and McKenzie have been um, working together quite a bit. Um, well, let's go ahead and play the clip here. I th- here's what uh, here's what you had to say about, um, or, or here's what McKenzie had to say about Bam Moore in response to one of your other questions, uh, Brian. Here it is. <laughs> Uh, McKenzie, you've been obviously rehabbing on campus with Brandon Moore. Can you give us your sense of how he's coming along and what you've seen from him? Man, he's just a freak athlete in the way he heals. Um, part of me wishes I was kind of like him in that sense. Uh, but it's also his work ethic and his mindset. You know, he's set on, you know, getting back for 2020 as well. So um, 
we encourage each other every day and he's making big strides as well. I think he'll be getting his brace off in about a month here. So I'm super excited for him um, with that because, you know, he's been through so much in his life and, but it's definitely going to teach him, you know, um, to do, I don't think he's taking things for granted, but, you know, just being back on that field, you know, we talk about it all the time. He's going to, he's going to be a different animal. Uh, like I said, like, physically and his his mind is going to be so sharp um i don't think anything's gonna be able to stop him all right so i mean that seems to be some good news no i mean uh, if i mean we saw how brandon's season ended last year in the opener which was just a tough moment but mm. seems to be some pretty encouraging news no yeah and it's it was it was it was great to hear first of all mckenzie and and, and brandon moore are great friends, uh, you know, even before this time where they're spending now basically every day in the in the training facility at UCF, you know, getting better together. Way before that, they're really, really good friends. He talked about how uh, Brandon Moore and himself and Gabe Davis, who obviously went to high school with Brandon Moore, when Gabe Davis was coming on, he would he he those three would would come would would visit each other in their dorms after games uh, when Gabe before Gabe even got to UCF. Uh, so their friendship runs deep. And, and I, I, so I expected nothing less in McKenzie's response, nor did I expect anything less to hear about Brandon. I know how hard Brandon works and how hard he wants to get back. Uh, it's certainly worth noting that his injury is not as severe or uh, was not as severe as McKenzie's. There was no uh, artery damage. You know, he dislocated his left knee and t- suffered a, t- a torn ACL. Uh, as far as I know, there was no other ligament damage uh, other than the ACL tear. So you're looking at you know possibly a 10 to 10 to 12 month recovery, um, but no he's doing well and and as McKenzie said, you know he's getting his brace off here in the next month. That's a that's a big big step, uh, and we'll go from there. But uh, I think having Brandon Moore back would be uh, amazing for this defense, which is already pretty like really deep in the secondary and at corner. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not to mention the fact that. <laughs> Bam would come back as a guy with considerable experience too. I mean, we were thinking that he might be he might he could have gone in the 2020 NFL draft um had he not gotten gotten injured, but um and again, it's worth pointing out because we don't know when the season starts. If the season yeah. gets delayed and pushed back, that helps him. That helps him get more time to recover and maybe get closer to the field, and that would be significant. Uh, if they can get him back on the field. I, I thought you know, he did a great job, and that was a really good question. Again, you, Murph, sneaking that one in to get some information on another player. instead. Because sometimes in these settings, you kind of the media gets sucked into, like, hey, do you think there'll be, like, football bag? And you get kind of caught up in stuff that really doesn't matter. But, you know, you got really good stuff there from Milton as far as what could potentially happen here and could be in affect the 2020 team, which is significant news here. Either McKenzie's closer to being back than we think or not, and then you can have one of your best, you know, defensive players back, uh, and he's doing well. I thought that was if, if you're a night. I mean, from a Knights fan perspective, I thought it was a very positive uh, meeting there, and I thought it was very useful and very informative. Yeah, and just a note to the listeners: uh, we didn't use those two clips because those are the only two questions I asked. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank, you. so thank you for that. But really. The entire interview was great. We have it up on the site now. Um, it's it's just again, it's it's McKenzie being honest and open, uh, and also uh, you know being realistic. He's being very realistic. As much as he is stressing how much he wants to do this, I think he, he still understands very much the odds he's facing and the hurdles he still has to go. 
Um, so, Murph, were you surprised though that he said, "Hey, twenty, you know, my goal. I'm going to meet here in June. I'm targeting North Carolina 2020." Like he threw it out there. He didn't have to do that. Were you expecting him? Were you were you surprised by that a little bit when when he first said that in the interview? I wasn't. Maybe the specifics of saying like I'm preparing for North Carolina. The specific of that, I was not surprised that he said like that's still his goal and he's going to be out there 2020 because that's what he told Scott Van Pelt in August of of 2019. Like this has been something that's been on his mind. This has been you know basically on his corkboard, uh, you know, really since he started rehabbing. And I, I don't think anything has swayed him now to get off of that goal. And like he says. Even if he can't reach that goal, just having it, just having it in his mind, aiming for it, you know, it gives him something to strive for every day. So when he's sore after day after day after day of really arduous training and really arduous rehab, and he talked about, you know, you know, in the in these moments where he's had to break down scar tissue that's built up in his knee, and you can only break that out with really, you know, with a lot of movement, and that hurts. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of days where he doesn't want to do this. You know, he doesn't want to go into the training room. He doesn't want to go into the Wayne Dinch Center again and go through more hours of rehab. But it's the North Carolina game week one, 2020, that is still on his mind of like, that's what I'm going for. And so, again, he may not be able to get there, but having that goal is valuable to him. And I was not surprised that he mentioned it. And don't you think there's a positive that he mentioned it, right? Because if, if he wasn't confident in himself where he's at right now, I don't think he throws that out there to the public or to you guys, right? In the media, he doesn't throw that out there. But I feel like there's a part of He feels good about it, right? And I, I don't know if you've got that sense that I did in watching the interview when it was posted. I sense a guy that's feeling good about himself. He's confident. Uh, I don't want to say he has a swagger back, but I'm saying I just got a sense he's I think he feels pretty good where he's at. Now, does that mean he's going to get cleared? No, but I think he kind of feels pretty good where he's at. Didn't you get I, – I got that sense, and I think that's why he threw those dates out there because, you know what, why not? I think he feels pretty good. Hey, maybe it can happen. I think if he didn't think he had a shot at, at all, I don't think he throws those dates out. If McKenzie had suffered a significant setback in his rehab already or if a doctor had told him, like, it's over, no matter what you do, you know, this such and such structure in your knee is never going to come back and fire the same way it ever did. There's really no chance of you playing again. If someone had told him that, like, like just very acutely, uh, I think we would we would have found out about it by now in one way or the other. Either someone would have dug, would, would have dig that up, or McKenzie, being McKenzie, would right. have been honest and would have told us, like, look, I've had these setbacks and I've had these troubles, and now I don't think I can play in 2020, and I'm gonna have to reexamine. So yeah, I think you're right in that the fact that he didn't mention it means that at least from from you know when we you know first when he first started uh, on his rehab to now, you know it's been relatively smooth. I mean, there's a lot of caveats to that word smooth because obviously this is not. This is hard work and there's there's really tough days for him uh, and there's painful moments for him. But there has not been that thing that's thrown him way off course for what he was aiming for, and that is a positive. And so. Your only hope now is that that continues. Um, you know, he mentioned in the interview, you know, his, so his most recent, I, I think his most recent milestone is he's now uh, in the training room. He's jumping up and down on that on that injured, repaired right leg again, uh, unsupported with his left leg in the air uh, and, and jumping up and down and doing a lot of that and trying to do it faster and faster to get the nerves firing and get the muscle, uh, you know, firing again and, and built back up. 
And with each of those little little milestones, you know, the picture becomes clear and the future becomes more positive. And so as long as that continues, uh, you know, like we've said, maybe it's not week one, but the chances of him being back are, you know, are greater, are, are incrementally greater, but greater nonetheless. It really is. And look, he's been, you know, there's been the videos that have been posted of him throwing the football, the video of him throwing to Gabe Davis and uh, what, Traquan at the, you know, at the park. Yeah. And things. Yeah. I, I don't think that's an accident. I think he generally feels good. Uh, I think he's optimistic going to seeing his surgeon that he might get cleared. He, he knows that if it's 50 50, he mentioned that in the deal. But I, I think he's feeling good and good for him, too, man. I mean, look, uh, I, I could tell you this. He is a significant story to a lot of people. I, you know, from 2017, obviously, UCF, there was a lot of chatter about the, 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 the national title being claimed and all that and that stuff. But when Milton went down, and I don't know, Murph, you've traveled as much as I have. When I travel and a lot of people come up to me after the injury, the questions weren't about the national title anymore. It was about, hey, hi, how's McKenzie doing? How, how is he going to be okay? Is he going to be back? I think there's a lot of people... He kind of changed the narrative about UCF. It went from, hey, or why are you guys claiming a national title to, hey, is that guy going to be okay? Is he gonna... I think there's a lot of people in this country, uh, the casual fans, that are following this story. I think it's a – and because of him. There's people that are UCF fans because of him. He's, he transcends this in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, look, wherever people that are listening, the audience that's listening to this podcast are pro- diehards fans, they're probably – Wherever they you get your UCF content from, if other other audio shows, the uh, broadcasts and stuff, they're going to open with Mackenzie Milton. This is going to be the topic because people care, people are interested in this yeah. and how this turns out either way. And uh, I, again, if you want to call me a converter, I'm not saying he's going to play, but I got to be honest, guys, I'm much more uh, open. I don't know if the word is a uh, proper word is open minded or maybe believe that there's a possibility here than maybe I had going into this interview. I, I personally, you know, we've all been kind of moved by that. I, I really do believe that we'll see him on a football field wearing a UCF jersey in some fashion. Yeah, if he comes back as the full-time starter, gosh, I don't know. But, you know, I've I've said to many people before that, like, the happy ending of that story is he comes onto the field on senior day in some fashion and and throws a touchdown pad. But, you know, if he's, you know, like I said, if he's, or like you said, and like he alluded to in the interview, if, you know, being dressed and ready for North Carolina on opening day is a possibility, you know, now within the realm of possibility, that's 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 a huge story. And it's something that I think we all got to be prepared for. So make sure you watch, uh, well, make sure you read. Way, uh, I, happy, go ahead. I will. The only thing I'll disagree is I think the happy ending has been written from the standpoint is he's fine. Like, he's doing well. Like, he's doing great. Like, um, which, let's be honest. And, Murph, you were in the stadium when the injury took place. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't guaranteed at that point. I mean, if you would have no. – if, if we would have – you know, if we go Quantum Leap TV show, go back to that date and go back to the days following that, hey, is McKenzie – are we going to be talking about McKenzie playing, possibly being cleared to play uh, less than two years after that horrific injury? watching it on TV or you watching it in person, I, I think people would have said you're crazy. So the fact that we're even talking about this, where we're at, with his mindset, where it's at, and how things are going, I think is a success already. Um, and I know it was brought up to him in the interview about the Alex Smith E60 story. Uh, that's a great example. I encourage people to watch that because what Alex Smith had to go through almost losing literally his life. I mean, he was de- dealing with 
losing his leg and that bacteria infection. Infection, yeah. Now he's walking, right. Now he's walking back with his family, and he's still thinking about maybe playing football. But I'm thinking, even if you don't, bud, you, you've succeeded. You've you, you you overcame the odds of a lot of things already. So I, I think it's already he's a success story. It's just a matter of how you know how successful this will can, can be, basically. Yeah, it's and it's good to hear that a bunch of those guys um you know reached out to him too. I know he I know Alex wasn't one of them, but um but you know I think he said that Theisman reached out to him. Uh, he spoke yeah, with Teddy right. he spoke with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, and that's good. I mean, the support community has been there. So make sure you uh, read uh, the transcript, basically lightly edited, yeah. of, uh, of McKenzie's um, uh, presser, if you will, Zoom conference call, I guess. With uh, I call it a Zoom press conference. A, zo- yeah. a Zoom a Zoom news Sounds conference, and uh, w- with you know all the UCF people who uh, matter, apparently. Um, Not Jeff. Yeah, not me. No, no. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I want to also... You also have another feature up, Murph, that I, I really enjoyed reading on Nate Evans. Um, and you spoke with him uh, for quite a while uh, last week. Great feature story up there on Nate. He's so excited to get going with the Jaguars. We've talked about his you know, the, the hill he's going to have to climb to make an NFL team. But Nate is the kind of guy who said, you know, I, I, all, like I've said many times, all I want is a shot. Just give me a shot. That's all I want. And he's getting a shot now. And um, tell me about, you know, your discussions with Nate and, um, and and just, again, you know, a lot, 90% of this is mental, but do you believe based on, you know, how he's approaching it that at least he's going to give himself the best possible opportunity to make the Jaguars this year. Yeah, I think Nate, like McKenzie, is like this hyper-optimistic guy. You know, a guy who will turn everything, even you know, even the worst picture, into something that he can shine up and and make it a positive. Um, so you and you sense that. I mean, that's what makes that's what that's what make, that's what gravitates you to a guy like Nate because uh, his optimism and his positivity it just sort of glows off of him. And, and you know he's gonna hard. You know he's gonna work hard. And he knows he know he's he has a long way to go, and uh, we'll uh, and we're gonna play a clip here shortly, which he'll mention about how far he has to go and how realistic he is about that. But right. I, I think what I, oh, well we'll get to that in a minute. As I set it up, Jeffrey, <laughs> I think I think what the, the the thing about Nate is you know he's very realistic again of, of of the odds he faces, but he's also very confident in himself. Uh, and I think you have to be when you know you've been passed over by. You know, all 32 teams seven different times, and basically the NFL has over and over again saying there are, well, there are other guys we want more than you. You have to be confident. I think so. And, and Nate expressed that to me a lot in this in this conversation with me. And I one of the questions I had for him was about not having a pro day. This is obviously not just a Nate Evans thing. This has been throughout all of college football. The effect of for those who are on the fringes, not your first, second round prospects, not even your mid round prospects, for guys who didn't go to the combine, uh, and for guys who you know were not seen as high end you know talent, that inability to really network with NFL personnel because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, I asked him about you know did he did he think that had an effect on his draft stock, and I will give him credit, he said yes. 
You know, uh, God works in mysterious ways. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like if I would have had a pro day, you know, my my journey to get into the NFL would have been different. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, I still have an opportunity. I'm not even gonna say I'm here because I'm not. I'm not in there yet, but, you know, I have an opportunity. And I, that's all I needed because, you know, I, obviously when you turn on my film, you know, you see an awesome ball player, you know, and that's not nothing to brag on anything like that. But just for me watching the film, you know, I you know, I would bet on myself, you know, in any scenario. But, I mean, it's, like I said, God works in a steroid ways. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm back in Florida, you know, which is my second home. You know, I have a big, big fan base behind me. Uh you know, I just get a lot of love from the from the state. You know, and, and like I said, all I needed was an opportunity, man. So it's really a blessing. You know, and, and and I'm just ready and I'm excited, and I can't wait to get to Florida. So there's Nate Evans, and you know, he says that, yeah, if he had had a pro day, you know, it would have been different. He says that, you know, if if there had been a former pro day at UCF, he thinks that he would have had a chance to get drafted. He didn't say that only for himself. He said it also for other guys like Adrian Killens and Nabel Clark. However, you can and you can, but you can, you know, hear that in that clip, Nate talks about he's an awesome ball player. You know, you know, you don't have to see. You, he didn't. You don't need a pro day for me to, you know, to look up, look at my film and look how I can help you. Uh, Nate's also been very uh, open to criticism during this process before the draft about what you know things he needs to work on, and he's really worked on his pass coverage skills, uh, moving his hips, uh, turning his hips to go back with tight ends and running backs, uh, which we all know I think he needs to work on because he's very good coming forward, but he just doesn't have as much experience backpedaling. And he's and to his credit, he's putting the work to get better in that area. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the what you have to have and what Nate has in spades is optimism and positivity and confidence. And it's not cockiness. He understands that he is he is a good player. He has qualities that can help out, help out an NFL team, and he's going to stress he's going to stress them to you uh, and, and make it show up on the field. Yeah. Well, I, he's one of the things I also think he has going for him is he's extraordinarily coachable, um, approaches everything with a positive attitude and, and gets the idea that, that what, what's the thing that coaches always like to say, the number one, I think it was Bill Parcells, right? The number one ability I look for in a player is availability. And, yeah. and you know, and like Daryl Green also said, you know, looking for your right now moment, what's going to be, Nate Evans is right now moment. Hopefully we get enough of a preseason to get a look at him um, and for the coaches to get a good look at him in a Jags uniform because I think that, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, special teams is going to be very key for Nate Evans to make that team. So, um, but is there a better spot that, that Nate Evans was suited to other than special teams, at least at this stage in the game? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see him coming down at me if I'm trying to field a punt. Hey, <laughs> and, and uh, Jeffrey, I'll mention this. Actually, I should actually set this up because it's part of the. Actually, it's not part of the clip, but I'll set something else up in a minute. Uh, I I asked him about you know the Jaguars, why the Jaguars. One of the reasons why he mentioned the Jaguars is that he sees himself a lot like a Miles Jack type. Jeffrey, yeah. Who did you compare Nate Evans to? In your black and gold Ben Red draft profile a couple weeks ago. Oh, I think it was Miles Jack, Brian Murphy. Oh, wow. What do you say? I think uh, Nate yeah. Evans reads my previews. <laughs> I, 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 if, 
if Nate Evans only said that because he's reading our stuff, that's fantastic. But no, I don't think that's the case. I Thank you, Nate. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, he's another six foot one, undersized, two hundred and fifty pound linebacker, and um, he talked about how, you know, one of the reasons was, you know, that is Miles Jack is there, and he sees himself a lot in him. Um, but you know, I, I want to dig deeper on that issue of, you know, a lot of these under undrafted free agents have multiple offers from teams after the draft. So, you know, how do you pick the right one for you? And for Nate, I asked him, why did he pick the Jags? Here's what he had to say. Yes, sir. Actually, I had a, I had a few more uh, offers, you know, going in probably like the, the seventh round of the draft, you know, saying, okay, well, you don't get picked up, then, you know, this is, this is what we have for you. Um, but the Jags, I mean, it was just it was just a better offer. You know, it wasn't, at the end of the day, it wasn't about the money up front for me. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. about the long run and the long term, you know, and the Jags, they had an awesome offer, you know, that I, that I really, like, you really couldn't refuse, you know what I'm saying? And like I said, I get the opportunity to, to come back to my second home, you know, where I have a big fan base, you know, where I get some love at, where I, a place that I'm already comfortable with, you know, and, and stuff like the weather and all that, you know, and uh, like I said, man, I know I'll do, I know I'll need, I'll do what I need to do, so I just get the opportunity. So I'm happy that it was Jacksonville, and, and like I said, you know, yeah. And you said, you know, it wasn't really it wasn't solely financial, but in terms of their offer, was it like you like the team set up? I mean, did you like some of the linebackers they already have that maybe could you know see you as a mentor? Did you like the coaches they have? What uh, I, I guess more specifically, uh, are, the, are there parts of that team, that organization, other than the fact they're in Jacksonville and you like being in Florida that really drew you to signing with the Jags? Well, I would say also with the opportunity, you know, uh, Jacksonville needs some help at the linebacker position. Mm -hmm. And I see myself coming in and, you know, helping fill that void, you know. Also, you know, they had, uh, you know, a guy like Miles Jack there who I feel like I I can play similar to, you know, he played running back and linebacker versus our player. You know, I feel like I could have played running back and linebacker, you know, been a versatile player. So me just going in there and being able to, you know, to learn under him, and, you know, get the opportunity to learn under him, you know, I just feel like that will, you know, just boost my whole athleticism, you know, physically and mentally. And also, you know, we can help each other out. You know what I'm saying? You never yeah. know this game. And, you know, you just build those relationships with people off the field as well. You know, now I seem like a cool dude. You know, I'm cool. So, <laughs> you know. so I think it's it's great there. You know, he, he basically out of, out of hand said it's not about the money. It's. You know, it's obviously about you know just being in Florida and having this fan base and this and and, and this familiarity that that he wants to be around. Yes, I believe that Jacksonville is a good fit for him because certainly going into the draft, at least they needed help at linebacker, and they certainly have addressed that during the draft. But maybe they could use more help. I think he's aware of that. But I think for Nate, a big thing about picking Jacksonville was understanding that he basically had. Uh, another home base here and, and you know he had a, he had a, he had you know friends and, and people that love him here and i think that that means a lot to him and so that's another reason why he took the jags yeah would have been there i you know i mean the only other place i think he would have been oh go ahead i don't i don't and we, we saw yeah so i guess we saw that gabe davis is number three but that's only yeah. for the preseason right yeah uh oh yeah it can only be in the preseason because in the regular season uh, receivers can only wear either 10 through 19 or 80 through 89. Can't wear a single That's digit right. if you're a receiver in the regular season. Yeah. Interesting. He's Sean Johnson. Oh. Yeah, I remember that. Right. Uh, look, I'm excited for him. 
Um, I, 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 I've liked him. I think he's a guy that can definitely make special teams an impact. Uh, I do think the Jacks, I definitely agreed with the Miles-Jack comparison. Um, I think he can contribute to that team, for sure, who I think is going to depend a lot. They want youth on that roster. They're in rebuild mode, which I think works to his favor. You know, if he was in a team, if he got a team that was a veteran ball club that had pretty much everything decided, the odds are a long shot. But he's on a team that I think will have spots available and try to build on youth. And I think he's going to surprise some people there. He could stay healthy and kind of learn uh, work on the things that you've brought up, Murph. But I'm excited for him in Jacksonville. I, I, I think I've said it on record of all the guys undrafted. I think he's got he's my pick as the guy with the best shot uh, to last in the NFL for a little while. Uh, we'll see if that okay. happens. I know you guys like eight uh, killings, but I just think Nate has some of those uh, tangibles that could work on special teams or even on a, you know, even as a backup linebacker or maybe start if certain things go his way. He certainly has fantastic intangibles, and like Jeff said, he's going to yep. be a, a coach's dream. One thing that I wanted to mention that I, I didn't mention here, nor did I have really a good spot for the artic- in the article I wrote last week or this week, uh, I asked him about you know seeing other UCF players, uh, you know Gabe get drafted, and then other teammates like Novell and AK get signed to the NFL. And I thought one of his quotes here at the end was, was pretty funny. He goes, you know, obviously it makes him happy, and he's excited for those guys. Uh, I can't wait to see them on Sundays and do a jersey swap with them or get to pay for dinner. And <laughs> I, I, I love envisioning that, like, if these guys make it and they're successful in the league, like those two going out to dinner, like, like you know, maybe like like AK and Nate Evans going out to dinner uh, after a Jacksonville-Philadelphia Eagles game. Like, that, I don't know. Like, I don't know why that, that makes my heart swell, um, but I, I love the vision of that. Cool, because we, know yeah, the, we knew these dudes since they were kids, right? I mean – you know, Gabe yeah. better pick up the tab on that one, though. Gabe's, <laughs> yeah, Gabe's, if, if, yeah, I, yeah, I saw Gabe's contract. That's yeah, he, Gabe's picking up the tab. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have other contract stuff that I'll mention later on in this podcast about UCF NFL players. Oh, whoa! Oh, geez. Murph bomb. It's not a Murph bomb. It it's is a Murph bomb. Jesus. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna take a quick break. Went a little long in the first segment. That's all right. We don't care. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about, you know, there's actual live sports going on, and a former UCF player is actually playing in actual sports right now. We're going to talk about that and a few more things when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. UCF underscore Banneret is where you can find us on Twitter. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And, of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. Where, uh, by the way, we're going to have a couple things going on uh, pretty soon. We've got some hashtag content coming your way with... Uh, a lot of content. A lot of hashtag content. The uh, uh, First of all, Eric, you've been just pumping stuff out like crazy on uh, the top UCF teams by sport of the 2010s, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, interesting going back and taking a look there. We've got the first two parts. The third part is coming up very soon. I, I got a little note from somebody on one of them, Eric. You picked in part two the 2017 baseball team. Um, someone on Twitter, I forget who, I apologize, Made uh, made a case for 2012, Eric. Why did you yep. pick 20, 2017 instead of 2012? 
Why did you hate the? Why did you hate the 2012 team, Eric? Why do you hate them? Yeah. What? Yeah. Why do you hate the 2012 UCF baseball team, Eric? What they do to you? Because clearly, I hate teams from the past. I only like teams recent, future, <laughs> and the, uh, the past, and the future. You know, that's kind of how I roll. Um, no, look. In all fairness, uh, that's a fair question. I went back, and you guys know this as witnesses, because I asked you both about this. That was the one sport and team that I struggled with the most. That one in volleyball. We'll get to volleyball, but by the way, I, I before you before you got it was believe it or not, it was former UCF baseball player Harry Hukari who asked us that. Yeah, reliever for 2012. No, look. Yeah. He, you can make a strong case for the 2012 team because I originally was leaning that way. Uh, from a roster standpoint, they were a more talented team than 2017, um, and and they were a stacked team. They were a win away from winning the regional, so they went further in t- in the NCAA tournament than the 2017 UCF team. Uh, so no, you can make a strong argument that this should have been the 2012 team. I don't. I understand that completely. I can't argue with that. I almost originally, when I first started working on this, and you, Jeff, you told me pick a team per sport. Uh, I knew this was going to be a debate. Uh, I decided to switch to 2017 because of a couple things. Uh, they won the conference championship in the American, which. In my opinion, it was a is a better league than it than the USA was. Even though obviously that 2012 UCF team had to go through Rice and they couldn't beat Rice in the final week of the regular season to win the regular season title. Uh, but from a depth standpoint, I thought the American is a stronger league. Plus, I thought the 2017 team was a better overall story because and Murph, you can back me up because this was your first year covering the team. There was no expectations for this team going into the year. They were picked at the bottom, and they kind of played amazing baseball in the second half of the year to the point where there was some quiet chatter about, hey, if they have a good run in in Clearwater at the conference tournament, maybe they could be in a position to host at that point. But it's really a pretty remarkable story to win the league, a strong league, and get to Tallahassee where they kind of you know ran into Auburn and Florida State. I mean, that was tough. But I lean towards 2017 because they won the conference regular season title, which, by the way, is the first conference championship that UCF baseball had won since 2004 when they won the A-Sun. And uh, that was, to me, why I gave the slight edge to 2017. You can certainly make a strong argument for 2012 with the roster that they had is certainly, I think is a better roster and certainly they went deeper in the NCAA tournament, but, and I, and I hate to say it because it sounds like I'm, I'm ripping Stony Brook, which I'm not, they were good, deserved it. They got to the world series, but a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth because they lost two games to Stony Brook and didn't advance to the super regional. Whereas I think everybody felt good about 2017. So um, that's a fair question though, a fair statement by Harrison Hukari. Uh, you could go either way on that one. I struggled with it. I lost sleep over it. I mean, I was up at three in the morning to look comparing stats, and I just decided lean to go to seventeen. Now, Murph, back me up that I made the right choice, please. <laughs> uh, I will at least say with twenty seventeen. No, that that team was definitely not uh, expected to do what it did. It's a it's a good rule of thumb that if you are preseason picked to finish dead last in your conference. You probably are not expected to then win said conference. Uh, and that's where UCF was. Uh, they were picked ninth in the AAC in 2017. They were led by a they were led by really 
a couple of like just young kids. I, I thought Joe Joe Sheridan was really their their most nails starter at that time. Uh, they had other experienced pitchers, but really Joe Sheridan, who pitched the uh, the conference winning game against here against USF, uh, he was arguably their best starting pitcher. And then uh, Rylan Thomas was really was sort of coming into his own. He would be better in 2018, but you know Rylan Thomas as a true freshman was also extremely good. Uh, they were led by a couple of older guys. I think it was Eli Putnam and uh, Luke Hamblin at the top of the lineup. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a, definitely not a team that should have had any business going to the NCAA tournament, much less winning the AAC. Uh, and they did both. And then yes, they ran into um, a really good uh, regional with Auburn and Florida State. Really tough regional, but I mean a great team. Won 40 games. Uh, beat South Florida last weekend of the season. Actually, me and Merv, the uh, tease here down the road, uh, as we'll, I'll, I'll mention at the end of this podcast, we're going to do a rewind on that season of baseball. But, look, look, 2012 was tremendous. Ronnie Richardson was on that team, DJ Hicks, uh, Joe Rogers, the closer. I mean, that team was stacked. So uh, you could go either way. Eric Skoglin was a youngster on that team. Uh, mm. Darnell Sweeney. Uh, so... Again, you could go either way on that. Are interesting. I looked at the RPIs for both teams. Ironically, they both had the identical RPI. I think they were like 22. So yeah. very close. I just I think a conference championship matters here. That's really what it came down to. I decided that the conference championship and the fact that their uh, baseball hadn't won a conference championship since 2004, I trumped that more than going to a regional final in Coral Gables against Stony Brook. Now had UCF beat Tokyo beaten Stony Brook and got to the Super Regional, I would have picked 2012. But I, they didn't. And so that's why I, I gave the nod to 2017. Hmm. All right. We also had um, some of the other things we were going on. And this is one thing that I'm actually well, real really... quick, Jeff, yeah. address this. Because the other one that maybe some people had controversy about on the list, volleyball. Uh, I went with 2018 over 2019. And, and full disclosure, you, you helped me kind of figure that out. Just you agreed with that decision. Just, I, uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, again, for me, this is kind of a a toss up because it's it, it's hard to pick. The, it's hard to pick the two. You're talking about two teams that um, won their conference and went to the NCAA um, tournament. 2018, kind of the ending it was sort of the opposite of what happened with the 2012 baseball team where the 2018 team um had a uh, it, this it had a spectacular season where they won you know 20 was it 24 matches in a row at one point and but they lost in the first round on their home floor to um to Florida Gulf Coast in the NCAA tournament um because Aaron Olson couldn't play she was she was out injured and uh, and that was the team that had Jordan Pingle. I think that, and, and then of course this year, that other or the other thing is in 2018 was that that team also won the conference turn uh, won the conference in the regular season. There was no conference tournament at that time, so um, you could I guess theoretically say that you know maybe their path was a little bit easier. Not saying it was, but it was maybe a little bit easier. They finished 27 and four. Um, but it, it, the 2018, to me, everything came together so quickly and so profoundly in that season. Um, I mean, they were rolling, folks, in that in that uh, throughout that year, including. I mean, they beat USC. They had a shot at beating Florida. Um, 
they, they that team was just sublime how they played. Of course, 2019, you're talking about a team that also won the conference, but they had to they they didn't even um, they didn't finish first in the league. Cincinnati did. Of course, they split the league into divisions, but um, UCF did not finish first in their division. Cincinnati did. Uh, they kind of kind of floundered in a couple spots in the early part of uh, the season. Uh, they lost to Miami. They lost to Florida Gulf Coast um, in the early part. And before they started reeling off some wins in conference. Um, and then, you know, went and then won three matches in three days, including beating Cincinnati in that thriller in the final at the on the home floor. And then beat Florida State in the first round of the NCAA tournament to advance, which UCF could not do the year before. It was a tough call. You know, that, obviously that team lost, the last year's team lost to Florida in the first round. It's a really tough call. I gave the nod to twenty uh, to, to 2018 because of the fact that they were so dominant at 27 and 4. UCF that in 2019 was 25 and 8. Not saying that that's not dominant. Shoot, that's pretty good in, in and of itself. Um, but when you roll through that schedule the way they did, going undefeated in conference, that's a rare feat, a super rare feat. Um, and uh, the fact that they were able to do that, I think, speaks volumes towards uh, towards that team. So, and they uh, got ranked, and they were ranked, and they were ranked in the top twenty-five, first time in school history. Them, yep, and they put themselves in position to host, which is why I kind of went that direction as well. And if you brought this exactly. up to me, if they if Olson's not injured, right? If Olson's healthy, you oh, think they slip by a if yeah. they get by Florida Gulf Coast, which by the way was a very good four C. That's a strong. Right. And those Four two teams, Florida Gulf. and those two teams played three times in the season, and and uh, my, UCF won the first two. It's hard to beat a team three times. That's there's a reason why people always say that. But I still believe that if Aaron Olson, and of course if we talk, if Aaron Olson were sitting here with us, she'd she'd say you're doggone right. We would have. Um, if uh, if that team had Aaron Olson out there on the floor, I think they sweep Florida Gulf Coast. And not only that, that that would have gotten them a shot at. Florida on their home floor revenge match from earlier in the season when they met up in Gainesville and UCF lost three one. There was a very controversial call on a set point that you know Florida seems to kind of you know they kind of they they, they they sometimes get the benefit of the doubt on some things, but um, they man it, it, I would have loved to have seen that team with its full complement. Face off against Florida on UCF's home floor in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I am not so sure that if Florida gets to the second weekend this that year, if uh, if they play a full complement UCF team. Um, but I mean that's the way it goes, which is a bummer. But um, man, I, I would. Uh, it's such a tough call. It's like it's like it's like picking which one of your kids is your favorite, right? I mean it, it's. Yeah, but I mean, and then, by the way, the eighteen team had Jordan Pingle, who's a great player. He's yeah. probably going to be on the Ring of Honor. Uh, she was a, she was the only senior on that team too. Yeah. Probably so the nineteen team returned a number of good uh, a, a number of good players, plus had some con- some key contributing yeah. freshmen, Mackenzie Kuchmeyer, who um, just played fantastically in the back row um, in in her one year as a grad transfer. Um, what what a joy she was to watch uh, as well as well as Jordan and. Interesting how you know how much Jordan, you know, helped out that team and sort of uh, and, and because she's so close with all of them and she lives in the and she still lives in the area. So um, 
Man, it, it was a tough call, but I had to go with the team that won, what, 24 matches in a row? Yeah. How do you, well, and went undefeated in conference. My other rule of thumb on this is if Brian Murphy covered you in person, that means you're pretty darn good. And Murphy <laughs> covered the 18 team in person, so that's the tiebreaker yeah. I went with as well. So we got. Yeah, I was got, desperate for I was desperate for work, Elo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell Todd that, man. That's, oh, don't no. tell Todd. Uh, um, so we got we've got that, and we've got we got five more to go, Eric. What's what's the five that we have to go? Football's one of them. Uh, yes, yes, we got uh, football. I think we know which one that's going to end up being. Uh, softball, which is the softball team. I think people could figure that out. We'll actually have. Uh, I'll give you a tease on who it is here at the end of the podcast. Again, I'm promoting more content coming, people. Hashtag uh, content, baby. Here it comes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That nothing's going on. We got plenty to talk uh, right and, and do podcast about. Uh, but yeah, you got the softball team. That, uh, they're, they're track and field team. And I'm going to give you credit on this. I hope people when we get the final part, because I'll give you credit for this, because you found this team for me and helping me pick the best track and field. This team that I picked, I write about, and I'm not going to give it away. You can make the argument alongside that football team in 2017 is maybe the best UCF team we had that decade. Uh, that 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 track and field team that I picked included a national champion, yeah, a championship, first in program in school history. Uh, that team was loaded, so I wrote about that. So I encourage people to check that out when that comes out. But uh, yeah, we include track and field, softball uh, in and- their football, obviously is in that one as well and both the soccer teams too men's soccer and women's thank, soccer thank too you. yes the soccer so. teams they've had some good ones that's another debate women's soccer was a really another very touchy subject there because again very similar to baseball uh you had team that went deeper in postseason but didn't win a league versus the argument about where a team that won the league but didn't go as deep so a lot of great teams to pick from which is a good problem here's the one thing i learned in doing all the three parts there boys uh 2010s were a really fun decade yeah we saw some really good UCF sports this decade, don't you think? I mean, it, yeah. it turned out really good. Every year we had something going on. It was fun. So, all right, so we got that. We also got our top 100 male athletes coming our way, coming your way, Eric. Um, we got the first two up, and we got, uh, oh, we only have, what, 80 more to go? <laughs> hey, I, I, wait, listen, you're, you don't have, you can't say, hey, guys, what are we going to do this week? No, you got plenty here. So, yeah. I did the top 100 male athletes of all time, and the, you know, it's a very subjective thing. Now, every sport is included. We're also doing a top 50 female athletes. Now, somebody asked me, like, why did you do that? Are you trying to avoid the gender issue? I'm like, well, kind of, yeah, because you know what? I don't want to get messages about, why did you rank the rowing player over the football player tweets? I don't want that. So I wanted to acknowledge all the teams that we've had all the in, in every sport at UCF, because obviously these are hard times. There are schools that are losing teams. Uh, do the financial issues. So I, this was this is kind of my way to kind of tribute to all the teams that UCF had and all the athletes that have played in all these different sports. So every sport is included in the top 100 male athletes and in the top 50 female athletes. And we're going to break them down. And the subjective, it's, you know, how did you perform at UCF? The impact you had on the program that you played for? And yes, how did you do, how did you do after UCF? Because in this particular case, if you had a, you know, you helped promote UCF by your success post UCF, that has value as well. So I try to combine all a little bit of all of that uh, and the impact they had on their respective sports and try to rank them. Is people going to agree with it? Of course not. You're never. This is all subjective. I'm sure Murph is going to be throwing stuff at me when he sees some of the rankings. But uh, I just wanted to do something to acknowledge some of the great athletes we've been fortunate to have 
not just in the last three or four years, but going back in time, a long time since day one of UCF Athletic. There's been some great athletes, and I know, Jeff, you've been very proponent about it. There's been football players, uh, old-time baseball players, uh, that maybe some of the younger audience that have hopped on the last few years are not aware of. We have a great tradition that I think sometimes gets overlooked. There's, there's always going to be the perception that because UCF started playing football in 1979 and started uh, and its football team reached Division One in 1996, that UCF is a new kid on the block. When really, you're absolutely right. There's been um, there have been some great athletes in a number of different sports come through UCF over the years, going back to the very beginnings of um, of the school's athletic program. So. Um, and of course, that's what we're here to do is we want to keep you guys informed and especially some of the younger members of our audience who I know they're out there. Um, you know, it always, you can always, it, you, if you know your history, you can you can run with anybody, right? And and that's the thing that I think, I, I hope that a lot of people remember is, you know, yeah, a lot of schools have been around longer, but UCF's got a good history too, so never forget that. Not just football. like Not just sport, football, like that's you. right. The three of us were talking off air about some of the baseball guys uh, uh, that's going to be yeah. ranked in this. It's going to pop up. There are some great players that people may not be aware of. And so uh, this was a lot of fun to do, and I hope people enjoy it. And, yes, people are going to be mad with somebody. I mean, I already got a message that Matt Williams was ranked too low. I, I get it. That's what I want to That's what I want to ask about because one of the, pitfall, one of the pitfalls of doing this sort of – grand undertaking where you're taking a hundred players and ranking them first of all people love rankings uh that's why like eric Bucks, really loves rankings <laughs> they, i mean they really love it but so my thing is it's just too nitpicky to look at someone and say well you had them 87 they should at least be 65 or higher i like what are we doing so for you eric how important was it or if it was at all like please let me know to make sure that you were ranking them properly. Because I will say, I, I think the best way to go is to include those, and certainly in the higher ranges, in your 50s to 100, just include the people that you know deserve recognition. Ranking be not what it is. It doesn't really matter because if you're 59 or 79, what does it matter? And it shouldn't to anybody else. But at least you're recognizing them. To me, for, for these kind of charts and rankings – the, you really don't know, you really don't need to get them right, quote unquote, until you get to like the top five. Um, so otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. more about recognizing greatness. But how yeah. much do you pour into each individual ranking and making sure you're actually slotting guys or slotting people you think correctly? Like 83 is that you know better than 84 and so and so. Uh, so I, I think it's a great question, and I agree. By the way, a lot of what you just said is a lot of this premise, recognizing them, and I think that's important. And the balancing act on this, right? Because if you you know there, UCF had a lot of great players that didn't play in Division One, right? So a lot of people are going to be mad, like, why is so and so like ranked over him? He played in Division Two. No, that's not the point. Is the contributions they made and how great they were at that time, uh, you know? And and I think that's the balancing act. The other thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want this to be a football list only or a basketball list only. So like Matt Williams, you know, Matt. Honestly, up until his last year, didn't really have anything great of his career. But he's such he kind of he stayed and he had that great year, helped him to the NIT, set the records records for the three point line. That's got to be acknowledged. So I put him at ninety eight. But you know, for example, I put Marcus Jordan ninety. Now is Matt a better player than Marcus? Probably. In fact, in the All Decade team, we put Matt in the starting lineup 
over Marcus. But I put Marcus ahead of him because with Marcus, I rank not only his performance on the court, but what he brought off the court. Remember, UCF, was, and I mentioned this in the article there when I ranked them, they were a Nandidas school. Marcus arrived, they changed to a Nike school in part because of him. And oh, by the way, he was one of those people that you weren't a UCF basketball fan, but you brought attention to the program because, oh, I, hey, his dad is upstairs watching the game. Jeff, you remember during those, you were there during that yeah. time when the building was packed and every time the TV would come, the, the, the producer, because I would work a lot of stats games, where's Michael? Where's Michael? And Marcus had to deal with that, but he brought a lot of people that weren't interested in UCF basketball otherwise. I think he tra- he transcend- he brought people in, and so that's why I ranked him a little higher than, say, a Matt Williams, even though you could argue that Matt Williams from a X's and O's is maybe a better basketball player and maybe a better athlete. But Marcus had a tremendous impact on the program with Nike and bringing general uh, casual people to the program and fans during that time. I mean, uh, you know, I remember the Marshall game and his, when they were a packed house and Michael Jordan was watching up in the suites. I mean, that mm-hmm. was significant, and I think that has value as well. So uh, to answer, I don't know if that answers your question or not, Mur, but those kind of things I think do play a role in this and how you judge these guys. Not to mention, I made a point out of this. Every UCF Hall of Famer, male or female, is going to be included on this list automatically unless you're a kicker. And I'm sorry if you're a kicker and you're listening, but you're, you're, you're a kicker. So you already know that your value is what it is. Like, how am I? I'm not going to be able to break down kickers. Hey, who's better than this kicker? You're all the same. Sorry. I mean, we've had good luck with good kickers, but I, I can't rank you as a that's, top That's it. Guy. That's it. I'm buying you a For the Brand t-shirt right now. Matt <laughs> McAfee I mean, is rolling over Matt, grave. Yeah, Matt McAfee's really upset. Look what, you, look what you've done to Matt Prater and Ed O'Brien and Javier Berlegi. How dare you? Forget about Matthew Wright. Matthew Wright. That's my point. That's the point. We have too many kickers that are all good. So I'm I'm not going to put 10 kickers on a top 100 list. Mac Mac Loudermilk. What? No, it's not that he he doesn't care about you kickers. It's that there's too many of them. Too good to be included. Oh, it's shame. I'm sorry. Like, you're supposed to be good. Wait a minute. Did did, did Loudermilk just knock on your door? Is that why you're saying that right now? Maybe. I don't know. But, so, uh, but yeah, so that's part of it. Like, for example, I rank Sean Johnson, who's been with the U.S. national team, has had a great career in the MLS, but he only played at UCF for a year or two. So I kind of balance those things out, the UCF career and the post-UCF career and the impact they had on their respective teams. And, you know, again, people are going to disagree. They have the right to. It's all based on, you know, and some of it is like, who who was I like, watch, if I, if I was fortunate enough to have watched them in person, I can maybe compare who I like better. Because uh, I'm fortunate in that I cu- I watch a lot of these sports in person, so I've seen a lot of these guys for the most part in person. But I include a lot of the Hall of Fame guys, which was my original point, because I think the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame should mean something. So if you're in the Hall of Fame, you were acknowledged. You should be on this list, and yeah. that doesn't matter if you played in the '70s or you played recently. I think, and I think we need to celebrate that more. And I kind of try to do that in this top hundred list, and that's why you'll see a lot of guys that played in the early days. And, you know, even guys like a Dan Burke gets on there. I mean, even guys like a, that didn't make the Hall of Fame but were impact during, like, the 90s like a, I, or even the two, early 2000s. Well, like it's, funny, it's funny you mention, you know, Dan Burke, guys like Dan Burke and Cy Burley because that that does go back to your your idea of contributions to their sport even outside of UCF. Dan Burke, longtime head football coach at Palm Bay High School, won two state titles. Yep. 
I mean, look at the lives that he that he affected, right? Um, Saya Burley was a longtime all-star level arena football player, um, and and had a tremendous impact on it after his UCF time was done. That that I that I agree with. That I think should matter, and I'm glad you brought that into this because that's uh, that's. That's particularly important. I think that's. Well, I think I mean, that should matter. Right. I threw a Mike Marath, who's 96, on my list because he was in the big leagues. Yeah. I remember that. When I remember seeing Mike Marath, there was, oh, UCF guy. Oh, wow. You know, now, now Murph, I know you're going to say, well, you didn't have the greatest of careers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was on one of the worst teams ever and lost 20 games in a season. But the fact is they gave him the opportunity yeah. to lose that games you know something i i will i will happily lose 20 games in a year if it means i got to call myself a major league pitcher right agree and by the way we had mike Maroth on this show so you can go yeah. to our archive and, and we could we talked about that season murph i had a chance to, we talked to mike Maroth about that in no. our archives so uh, it was fun um you know so the, the hardest ones i'll tell you the ones that was the hardest honestly are guys like aubrey dawkins and 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 mike hughes because they were only here one, one year. One year, right. At least playing. I know Aubrey Murph. I know you're going to correct me. Aubrey was with the program longer than a year. But I, what I meant was performing on the court one yes. year. Yeah. Mike Hughes um, was, was, I guess, at UCF for what, like six months? Not right. <laughs> but I, but I put him up at 83. I mean, which is pretty impressive to have a six-month career on campus and you're 83. Yeah. Uh, that's, to me, that's pretty impressive. Some might think it's low. Considering it was just one year, that's impressive. I mean, and who knows? I mean, if he has a, a better NFL career moving forward, that could move up. Could not depends. Yeah. But uh, that's why I put them as in the rankings they did. They were the hardest because how do you judge the one year? Because it's just one year, but yet they did have a big impact. I mean, Aubrey Dawkins had an impact on a team that went to the NCAA tournament, and you can make the argument that Aubrey Dawkins put on maybe the greatest performance that any UCF basketball players ever had on the court in a single game like his against Duke. I would put that performance up against any UCF player all time. And, you know, me and Murph talked about that in depth. And Murph, I know you felt very highly about Aubrey's game that year. Yeah. And I, that's why I put him at 94. So we got, yeah, we well, got, we got a bunch of good ones that we're going to look into as well over the next uh, couple of weeks, really. And we kind of roll this out. I yes. want to try and roll out one a day. Once we get the, once we get the top teams, yeah, of the decade, 100 so. male athletes, which is going on right now. And we're also going to have the top 50 female athletes. That's right. Uh, and then who knows, maybe by the end of all that, we'll debate. If somebody asks, like, well, is there really a debate who the best athlete is? Well, the three of us will probably debate that after the list is over. We'll just combine. Is it Michelle Akers? Is it whoever on the male side? You know, yeah. so it's called we're, we're, we're moving forward, people, because we don't know if we're going to have live content on a weekly basis or anytime soon. So we're, we're, we're giving you content in the meantime to entertain you all and inform you uh, until we get any further notice that we actually have something to cover that's current. Perfect segue. Guess what we do have that's going that that's currently happened. The KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, ladies and gentlemen, is happening. Yes, they are playing live baseball in in South Korea right now. Murph is just over the moon about it. Not just because there is baseball happening, which Carl Ravitch is calling play by play from from his basement uh, somewhere in New England, but there is a UCF player, a former UCF player, playing in the KBO, and that's Ben Lively. Uh, the right former right-handed pitcher for UCF is uh, is playing in the KBO. Murph, you uh, watched his first game. A uh, little bit of a rough outing, but uh, you know, I mean, first of all, 
he's there playing playing baseball, which is a good thing. And uh, and second of all, you know, he's he's one of the t- he's one of the top pitchers for uh, for the Samsung Lions, right? Yeah, so he started the Lions' second game of the year against the NC Dinos. Uh, I love these team names. Uh, and so, yeah, Ben did have a rough first go. And I am I wonder for him if, you know, there were nerves involved. I mean, it's just a weird atmosphere with no fans in the stands. You know, pitchers feed off of that kind of stuff, of that adrenaline of fans being there um, either for you or against you. And I wonder if that affected him. Uh, that is something that I'm. That's something I want to find out from Ben. Me and Eric have been trying to to track him down for one of our more interesting interviews, and we'll see if we can get him. But uh, Ben, so yeah, Ben did not have a great first start. He went six innings. Um, he gave up four runs, six Ks. Uh, but really, the problem was for Ben the early home runs. He gave up two home runs, I believe, in the first four or three or four innings. One of the home runs was hit by Aaron Altair, who was a former Philadelphia Philly. And who was on the Phillies when Ben Lively was on the Phillies? So a teammate hit the a home run off another teammate. Um, but it should it should be noted that uh, I, I think as I've said here before, uh, Ben Lively had a really good year uh, in a in a in a you know a very short amount of time. He had a good year last year with uh, the, uh, the Samsung Lions at 3.95 ERA, uh, a WHIP over just over 1.10. Um, so he earned the number two spot, and uh, I'm sure he'll be better next time out. And whenever his next turn comes. I will try to get up again at five thirty in the morning because yeah, this is the only thing keeping me alive at this point. <laughs> his, uh, his interestingly enough, his uh, teammates on uh, on the Lions, uh, among them Tyler Saladino, formerly of the uh, Chicago uh, White Sox, uh, played played a few years for them. Uh, Justin Haley, who uh, pitched for, had a cup of coffee with the Minnesota Twins. Darren Ruff, a former San Francisco Giant, Philadelphia Philly. Um, Philly. Say that again? Yeah, another former Philly, yeah. Uh, Deck McGuire, who actually um, pitched for, among several organizations, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays um, most recently. Um, And uh, David Buchanan, who uh, is from originally from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, pitched for Georgia State. Um, and uh, made his professional debut back in 2014 with the Philadelphia Phillies, another Philadelphia Phillies. So, um, wow, a lot of Philadelphia Philly alumni out the KBO with the Samsung Lions. Yeah. But uh, Darren, Darren Ruff and Ben Lively were never on the same Phillies team together, but they were part of the organization at the same time. Uh, it was right when Darren's career with the Phillies was ending and, and, and Ben's career was sort of beginning. I, they had to have been in spring training together, so they've certainly mm-hmm. been teammates, at least in a spring training setting together. That That is interesting to me and probably only me. Well, you need to bring that up in case you're able to get in touch with Ben when, when the time comes. But... I, I, Jeffrey, I will be honest. I cannot wait to hold <laughs> an interview with Ben Lively at like 3.30 in the morning Florida time. I can't wait. It's going to be great. All right. So, so, so the KBO, ESPN is televising this, and Samsung is playing. Well, they'll be playing. Well, they, they play every other day. Is that right? They play. Well, they should play every day. Oh, they play every day. Uh, it's 144 game scheduled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's baseball, Jeff. Do, it's do every we, day. Do we know when we're going to see Ben uh, take the hill again? I don't know, and so I should have known this already. Like, is it like the Japanese leagues where usually it's only like a one per week kind of start, or is it like a five man rotation? 
I'm not sure about that, but I would imagine certainly no earlier than than Sunday. Uh, but, uh, but but you know it'll be you know next few days I imagine. Yeah. So I it, it, we should be we'll be keeping an eye on that, and if something good if something really good happens with Ben Lively, we'll certainly let you know about. It. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, we got live. Are you kidding me? That's what Murph is doing. He's on Lively Watch. Are you kidding yes. me? Yes. Murph is on I Lively wish. Watch. It's what one of the things that, that was too bad about how you know Ben sort of struggled in his first outing is uh, no one really want, wants to read about that. So if Ben can <laughs> right. pitch well, if Ben can pitch well down the stretch here, that would give me more things to write, and I'd look forward to that. Well, it's it's good that you know the, the headline there is Ben Lively makes his debut. Yeah, it didn't go so well, but hey, this is good news. Now, Ben, if you're listening, we're pulling for you. We need you to win your next start. You can do it. Come on, yeah. man. And Ben, you're going to be on my top 100 list. Make me look good, all right? So, all right. Well, listen, our, no, no. Our goal is to turn. Listen, our goal is to turn Ben Lively into a K-pop level phenomenon over there. Okay, if we have to do this, it, we I have like to find a way jersey, to do this. By the way, uh, I like his jersey. Why do you think Murph? I don't know. I, why do you think? Because I, I followed him. Obviously, I covered him at UCF up close. You got you know went to the Phillies. Followed him closely. Um, in fact, he pitched. Uh, he was on the same spring training with the Phillies as Mackenzie Otis, the UCF softball pitcher's husband, was on the Phillies organization as well. They both were pitchers and drafted. Why, why do you think it, it Lively didn't stick around in the big leagues? What's the thing that's missing there? Because in some ways, in all seriousness, for him, this could – I mean, who knows? We'll, hopefully we'll get to talk to him and ask him about this. But this could be like a second chance if he does well. Maybe he gets another look now because you got to believe Major League Baseball teams are scouting this right now because they got nothing else to do. And so that's two things I want to mention off of what you just said. One, absolutely. I mean, and this was brought up during one of the broadcasts by a pitcher named Josh Lindblom. Josh Lindblom came up with the Dodgers and was sort of bouncing around the Major Leagues around 2011, 2012, 2013. And he went to Korea. And in the past, when you saw a guy who couldn't really cut it in the Majors go to Korea – you'd figure that you'd never see him again. Like that was like, he's just sort of hanging on to baseball life and then he'll be done with Korea and he'll go away. But that isn't really the case anymore. Josh Lindblom ended up being the KBO MVP last year and just got a three-year deal with the Brewers. So he's back in the States. Eric Thames has been a huge hit with Milwaukee uh, as well after a big, after a big power stretch with, with Korea in a Korean league. So going to Korea is not only a chance to continue your baseball career, but in a way, possibly rehabilitated, you know, and play well and try to impress some scouts. Like, like you said, Eric, since nothing else is going on right now, I mean, all baseball scouts even have less to do right now. They're certainly watching the KBO. There's certainly a bigger stage, a bigger spotlight on these guys. It helps the ESPN broadcast helps as well. So it's not just that, you know, he's looking to continue his career because he loves baseball. He, I'm sure he wants to get back in the major leagues. I'm not sure why he left. I'm not sure, you know, if there was just no offers to keep him there in the first place. But we know he wants to make it back. I mean, I I don't believe, you know, he's not. He's 28 years old. It's not like he's an old man. Right. Um. And this is the stage room to do it. I will say, not only does the ESPN thing help, but if you are sort of into the KBO, and uh, and and you can watch. So you actually watch one game a day on ESPN. Since there's 10 teams, five games a day, and all all games are going on basically concurrently. They're all going on at the same time. You go on the KBO Twitch stream, and they have a link that gives you the mosaic setting where you can literally watch all five games at one screen. This and is fabulous, by the way. 
Oh. It's it's kind of like you know, and it's it's kind of like the NFL game mix or MLB extra innings or, or NBA game uh, NBA league pass. It's like that. And I know for some people they're like, yeah, it's the KBO. Why do I why do I care? You should care because it's five live sporting events of baseball all happening at the same time on one screen. It's mesmerizing. I <laughs> really liked it. By the way, have you, you seen their? On it and you can play fantasy league on it if you're into that stuff too. But, yeah. By the way, have you seen have you seen their stadium in uh, in Daegu? Was it Daegu? I don't the, know. The Daegu baseball stadium is really really neat, and it's actually uh, it, it was uh, it was built in 1948. But unlike here in the states, what they do is they in Korea they they don't blow old stadiums up; they renovate them. What a concept! And they and they modernize them. This thing looks like Dodger Stadium. Not joking. Yeah. You. It looks like Dodger Stadium. So um, it's a it's a beautiful, picturesque setting. It's very, very neat. Some of these parks in this league are really beautiful. But um, but yeah. So Ben Lively, Samsung Lions. You have lady uh, UCF fans. You have your, everyone's got your favorite KBO baseball team. It's the Samsung Lions, and you can watch them on ESPN and on their Twitch stream as well. So. Uh, and uh, good luck to Ben Lively and his next uh, his next start. We'll be keeping an eye on that for you. So, cool, cool. All right, um, let's wrap this puppy up, boys. What do you say, uh, Murph? What do you got coming up? Uh, well, I will say a few things. One, I'll apologize to Todd Dagenet for <laughs> earlier in this podcast. <laughs> Look. It was desperate times. I, I it just you know I I, I I'll, I'll dip my hands in any sport. Um, it, it, I will say this: If Todd's mad at me because it sounded like I was underselling volleyball, he can also come back and blame me as the reason why they lost to FGCU. Because again, before that game, before that match, I had never covered a women's volleyball match. That's not true. That's not true. You were there for a Cincinnati match that they won in five sets that year. I wasn't there as I wasn't there as media though. I was there as a fan. Oh, it's a big, big difference. Yeah, big difference, Eric. So. So, so you're if, if Jeff, Jeff would have spotted you and just revoked your credential right before the first serve, we could have had a different result. <laughs> so yeah, that's the it was, it, it was the day that you would, Jeff, you could have saved it. <laughs> I could I could have gone I could have gone to Chris Walsh and be like, Walsh, get this guy out of here. He's bad news. <laughs> it was the day of the UCF Alabama men's basketball game down the hall right. at the at the arena, that's and right. I was covering women's football. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my fault. That's my fault, Todd. You guys lost because I was covering you. I apologize profusely for everything, faults uh, that are that are seen or unseen. Uh, secondly, uh, I have an article coming out. Uh, I talked to we talked about uh, discussing things with Nate Evans. I also talked to Navelle Clark uh, about his sort of his road uh, in the pre-draft process and then being picked up by the Vikings. Uh, I, I, I like Nate. Like with Nate, I kind of asked him, you know, why were the Vikings? The fit for you, and he mentioned a, a, a you know a number of things that will that you'll see in the article. Um, I will say the one big factor, I would say one notable factor, is that uh, Navelle Clark got a hundred fifteen thousand dollars guaranteed uh, for his rookie contract. Now rookies get like a fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus and then a six hundred thousand dollars contract. And I'm not, and if you're if you're a undrafted free agent, that's what you get. Uh, and Usually that contract is not guaranteed. Well, for Novell, a hundred thousand of that six hundred thousand is already guaranteed, plus the plus the signing bonus on top of it. Uh, according to something I read at the, I think it was the West Tribune in Minneapolis, there were only six 
non-quarterbacks, so among non-quarterback players who went undrafted in the 2019 draft, only six signees signed for more than $100,000 guaranteed. And so, and so that tells you kind of like how much the Vikings wanted Navel Clark. And I'm sure it played some, some part of the reason why he picked the Vikings, to get that much money up front for being an undrafted free agent. But he talked to me a lot about all the reasons why. And uh, I think you'll see, like Nate as well, Novell is an extremely confident guy, and that makes him a fun guy to talk to. I'd say so. I'd say that's a pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good decision. <laughs> Guaranteed money up front, baby. Bring me my money. Yep. That's what I'd be saying right there. I yeah. I mean, good for Novell, and I'm looking forward to that piece from YouTube, Brian. That should be really fun. Eric, what do you got coming up? First of all, I want to add a footnote to Merce. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast game. That, they mentioned the same night at the same time UCF men's basketball was hosting Alabama. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I'm trying to remember, Murph. You didn't. You couldn't go to the Alabama game because you had to stay with volleyball. Is that right, or did you do the back and forth? I don't remember. No, no, no. no I, stayed, I stayed with volleyball. <laughs> well, you missed out, Murph, because I was at I was at both, and you missed Alabama and future UCF guard Dazon Ingram scoring yep. five points on 18 minutes, six boards, four assists. As UCF knocked off Alabama that game, Dazon Ingram was a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide on that November 29th night with Avery Johnson as the head coach at Alabama as UCF won 70 to 60. Probably, you probably hear AJ AJ coaching his, his voice streaking throughout the arena. Oh, that's great. That was great. God, AJ's the best. This concludes. Oh. This concludes our UCF rewind of UCF Alabama basketball game 2018 2019. <laughs> Hashtag right, content, speaking baby. Of UC, fair, speaking of UCF Rewind, Merv, great segue. Because coming up <laughs> this Saturday, okay, folks, May 9th, Saturday, this would have been the day of the American Conference Championship in softball here at UCF if the tournament was scheduled to be held this week. Obviously, it's not. We all know that. Uh, I feel sad because I feel like we would have been doing this show while I was on at the complex talking about the softball tournament, doing a preview show. Instead, uh, we're doing this show, which is fun as well. But nonetheless, uh, on we will be coming out on Saturday, May 9th, with a UCF Rewind, my chat with Mackenzie Otis and Shelby Turnier, two of the great softball pitchers of all time, as we look back on the UCF 2015 team that won the American Conference regular season title and the tournament title, won 50 games, top 16 in the country. They won the championship against Tulsa on May 9th, 2015. So five years to the day on that Saturday, we will come out with a special UCF Rewind with Mack and Shelby in interview. We'll look back on the 2015 team with some of the highlights from that season. That's going to be part of a Rewind series that we're also going to honor the softball program this month we're going to have the 15-year anniversary, the 2005 team, in a future episode of UCF Rewind as we'll look back on that season as well as the 08 team. And then we're going to have a special tribute to the baseball program at the end of this month and into June because, Murph, as you know, that would have been the time where we would have the selection show, the conference tournaments and regionals. Mm-hmm. Instead, well, we don't, but we will there have instead. Uh, I just had to finish this week, exclusive chat with Justin Pope and Jason Arnold. Nice. Talk about UCF in that 2001 team. Jeff, you were with me when Jason was on here recently, about a year ago or two, and he said he still believes that the 01 team is the best UCF baseball team of all time. 
I'm sure Harrison and Hukari will also disagree with that because some would say 2012 was. <laughs> oh, stop! You get off Harrison's case. Hukari's my boy, man. He was. I love watching him pitch. I'm just teasing. Great, but that's just part of the great. But I had a chance to talk to both Justin Pope and Jason Arnold, two UCF Athletic Hall of Famers, at the same time to reflect on their careers. Remember, 2001. We're approaching the 20-year anniversary of that team. That was a team that, as we get into that interview, got screwed out of hosting. A regional. There was they a team did. that was ranked as high as seventh in that the was, That was a year. that was a crime what happened to that yeah. team. So we'll delve into that fifty one win team. We're gonna talk about the O one team uh with those two great players. Uh that's gonna be coming up in a few weeks on this podcast. We may even do release a video of that interview. That'll be up to Jeff. He's the video tech expert. I'm not. <laughs> um and then we're also gonna do a, a UCF rewind in about a month on the twenty seventeen team. Uh, Murph, because you covered that team. We may or may not have a guest for that, but as Jeff, mm-hmm. I was telling you, I was watching Murph on the Zoom in the interview with Mackenzie Milne. I was looking at his eyes, and while he was happy that he was talking to Mackenzie Milne, I could tell in his eye there's a part of him that kind of wishes he was talking to Greg Lovelady at this, at, about an upcoming series instead. <laughs> so, Murph, this is the best I can do for you. We'll talk some UCF baseball back in 2017. That's the best I can do for you to get you some baseball fix. I mean, it's fine by me. That's why I'm watching the KBO. It's my, it's like baseball heroin at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to have still some football rewinds. I don't want to say which games. I know we're going to uh, – the three of us, are, we're going to do – I know we're going to do the Peach Bowl at some point, and we might do the Memphis game with a special guest, but we'll still working the details out on that. And as Jeffrey mentioned earlier, we got the top 100 male athletes, top 50 female athletes coming out, and that final part of the UCF team of the decades 2010 – Feel free to send your anger to Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter for all your disagreements and anger over my rankings. I welcome it. <laughs> okay. We got plenty more to come for you on that as well. So, uh, like we said, we're trying to keep we're trying to keep things going here, Black and Gold Banneret for you. And in a way, this whole thing's kind of been a blessing in disguise because we get to post a lot of evergreen stuff that you know we always. I guess ever since we started working together, guys, like we've always been like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we did this, we did that, but we never really had the time to. Now we got the time. So that's the part that I like about it the most. In fact, what's funny is uh, as I was doing research for the Memphis game, as we possibly might do a rewind series on that, I didn't realize. Now, Murph, at that point, that year, was a contributor to the podcast. He was writing for the site. He was a podcast. That Memphis week, the USF and the Memphis game was the first, was when Murph joined the podcast permanently. Yeah. From that point on, he's not left the podcast. So, so you know. The streak continues. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's ripped in I've only, I, I've only bailed on you when I just didn't, when I just didn't feel like being on the show. God, <laughs> I'm honestly. Like <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll bear that in mind the next one you miss. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, as well as Black and Gold Banneret.com, your home for the UCF Knights on SB Nation. Uh, for Brian and Eric, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you again later on next week. <laughs> <laughs>